Conversations, reparations, conversations, reparations. Welcome to this broadcast of Conversation Reparations on this June 15th, 2020. We are having some issues uh, with your regular host for those that don't know. Of course, this is me, Scotty, uh, your technical and audio engineer. And unfortunately, there have been some major um communications issues with many of the phone systems, some of the major network carriers across the country, and we've been trying to work through those, and I was kind of afraid that this might happen, and um, Jamoke seems to be having problems joining us, but we do have our guest on the line uh, for tonight, our special guest, of course, is Mr. Robert L. Johnson, a business mogul, entrepreneur, African-American entrepreneur, founder of Black Entertainment Television. And it looks like we might have Jamoke on the line. Do we have you on the line, Jamoke? Let me unmute you. Um, Hopefully that's you, Jamoke. Jamoke. Okay, so that's not Jamoke calling us from the Atlanta area. Um, So, but yes, our guest tonight is business mogul Robert L. Johnson. Uh, For those that didn't see the press release that was put out on his behalf, he has called for $14 trillion in reparations. And let me just read just a a little bit of this uh, press release. It says the economic chasm of wealth and income inequality between black and white America was without question derived from slavery and its aftermath. It is a visible stain on this nation's economic and social mobility reparations in the form of monetary recompense for damages is not new in this country or the world. It should be completely understood in a nation built on a foundation of capitalism that no one should be deprived of the benefits of their labor without due process of law. Therefore, the purpose of reparations as presented here is to acknowledge to 40 million black Americans, the descendants of slaves, that you are owed damages for the evil that was visited upon your ancestors. And we have linked to the full text for those that want to uh, read that full text of that press release. It is uh, posted in our program description for tonight. So without further delay, I want to uh, go ahead and welcome in our special guest for tonight, Mr. Robert L. Johnson. And thank you, sir, for being so patient and working with us through these technical issues tonight. Now, Scotty, thank you for uh, pinch hitting for Jamoke. I hope he'll he'll get on. But uh, you know, we've both been around technical issues in and television and radio and telephone, so uh, I understand it. So I'm delighted to uh, to be here with you and to share with your listeners uh, about uh, reparations. Uh, I I think to go at it. Uh, in the direct way, I, I think most people understand why rape reparations are justified for African Americans' ancestors, uh, and the, based on how our ancestors were treated. So, descendants of slaves are owed reparations, and, and I'll explain why. But to make it a point, a clear point, as to how we have suffered under the uh, system uh, that has deprived of us of access to economic wealth and economic rights. 
all you need to do is think about what happened in sixteen in the sixteen hundreds when the first slaves were brought here by white Americans. All you need to do is to recognize how we were treated for over uh, hundreds of years under that system. All you got to do is close your eyes and hold your breath for 8 minutes and 46 seconds. You understand what that means, Mm -hmm. and you understand why you are without question justified damages for the way African Americans have been treated in this country because it's still happening today. Yes, it is. So, and if if I could interject, Mr. Johnson, um, I have a podcast called New Abolitionist Radio. This is Jamoke's show, as he said. I'm just pinch hinting for him since he's having these technical issues. But in 2013, I happened to read the 13th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. In that Constitution says that slavery and involuntary servitude shall be abolished except as punishment for crime. You you painted a mental picture of us, for us, of uh, Mis- Mr. Chauvin, the cop who has now been indicted for murder, of, of, of this brother up there in Minneapolis, George Floyd. And I see that once I got, once I read the 13th Amendment, I understood that slavery was not abolished in that it just took on a new form. It, it became penal slavery or prison slavery. And, of course, sir, I know you know the history about the black codes and the convict leasing and the issue with private prisons. And so when I saw that, I saw I see some of these law enforcement officers as operating in the same capacity as the slave catchers back during the day. Please, could you comment on that? Yes, I I think you have to understand, and I think our listeners need to understand how this system was created. Um, Labor is wealth. That's why when you go get a job, somebody's going to say they're going to pay you X dollars an hour or X dollars a month or X dollars a year. You return, give your labor whether it's manual labor, intellectual labor, or creative labor. So labor is wealth. So you start out of a system where white plantation owners had free, you could say labor, I say free wealth. They took that wealth and turned it into other business opportunities. And those business opportunities were passed on down to their children, their grandchildren, their great-great-grandchildren, and on and on until we enter society like we are today. But it started with wealth. Now, one thing you must know and your listeners must understand, slaves died after so many years of slavery and old age. But what didn't die was the wealth that they created. Money in a capitalist society does not die. Money circulates. Money multiplies. So whatever wealth was transferred from our ancestors from the 1600s on was recirculated in white American society and at the same time denied to us, it was multiplied in white American society, and at the same time limited to us because of racial segregation, because of economic inequality, because of access to wealth and rights uh, that were provided to white Americans. So the long train of wealth transfer that started with slavery exists today. And I'll give you a prime example of what I call a wealth transfer. Today, the home ownership among white Americans is 70% of white Americans own homes. Approximately 40% 
of African Americans own homes. Now, you may ask, where does the wealth transfer come in? Both of them own homes. Well, 70% of white Americans own homes, 40% of black Americans own homes. Now, African Americans who don't own a home, obviously they have to stay someplace. They are renting because they did not have the income because of denial of jobs or opportunity to pay the down payment on a house. White Americans had the economic opportunity and the wealth to pay a down payment. Now, all of you who own homes will understand this very clearly. When you own a home, you pay a mortgage on the home on the home that you purchase. And that mortgage allows you to deduct the interest on the mortgage note. You pay the principal, but you get to deduct the interest from your income tax. So imagine a white homeowner who makes $50,000, and he has a home, and he's deducting the interest. Imagine a black homeowner who makes $50,000, but he doesn't have accumulated savings to pay the down payment. He doesn't get to deduct the interest. There's no interest deduction on rent. So in effect, $50,000 tax for the white homeowner is the same as 50000 tax for the black homeowner on his rent, black rental owner on his rent. But when it comes time to file that income tax, the white homeowner can say, I hereby deduct whatever interest I paid in this year on my income tax. The black homeowner, I mean, black rental owner, does not do that. Therefore, that transfer of income on the rent, I mean, on the mortgage deduction goes to the white owner. Black owner still pays the same taxes as a renter. White owner pays taxes as a homeowner, but gets a deduction. It's a wealth transfer. And that's one of the reasons, since a home is the principal source of wealth for almost all people, black or white, in the middle-income classes, classes, the net worth of the average white household is $170,000. The net worth of the average black household is $17,000. So you see that. When I say the median or the average... That means half black of black folks have more than seventy thousand mm-hmm. dollars, but half of them have less. So, with forty million African Americans home, African Americans in this country, twenty million African Americans have seventeen thousand dollars or less in net worth. White Americans have one hundred and seventy ten thousand. Now, how do you propose to ever catch up in wealth to that? If you're denied economic opportunity for jobs, you're denied economic opportunity to access to capital, if you face redlining, if you face racial discrimination in employment, mm-hmm. and if you can't pay to send your kids to school so they can get educated and get a better job, if you don't have the home, you are behind mm-hmm. 10 times. Yes, sir. So let's look at it like this. This is a, a race. So I'm ahead of you by 10 yards. So I'm the guy with the $170,000 home. I mean, net worth. You're the person with the $17,000 in net worth. And I'm ahead of you by 10 times. Let's say to call it 10 yards. I'm running at 5 miles an hour, and you're running at 5 miles an hour. But I'm 10 yards ahead of you. Right. You'll never you know catch what that me. means? You'll never catch you me. You will never catch me. Right. Mm-hmm. You will always be behind. And so what I did in looking at reparations, I said the spread between the median wealth of a white American is about $350,000 over that of an African American. So I said, let's give every African American descendant of slaves, all 40 million of us, $350,000, and we spread it out over the next 30 years. You multiply $350,000 times 40 million black descendants of slaves, you would come up with $14 trillion, give or take some change. That's how I arrived at it. 
Why do you get it? Because it was taken from you. And damages is to repay you for something that happened to you which you did not cause that somebody else caused. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor. If somebody came into your house, grabbed you, put you in a closet, beat you up, took your TV, took your, your money, took your clothes, you would go to the court and you say, hey, I want damage. I want to be paid for that. They wouldn't ask you if you're rich or poor. They'd say, this is owed to you. We don't care if you're, you know, you can be Denzel Washington. You're owed that. You can be anybody. And they're owed to you. So reparations is to pay you for damages that were <clears throat> put upon you for which you had no recourse. Mm -hmm. You couldn't go to court if you were a slave. You couldn't go to court if you were in servitude under Jim Crow's law. You couldn't go any place to find redress for your grievances. Sir, and I'm all the saying, time, people would... were taking your money, investing in other business, investing in airlines, investing in hotels, investing in, in uh, movie theaters, investing in banks, investing in anything you can imagine. But the question is, like I said before, where did that wealth start? Money does not die. It circulates and it multiplies. You, you mentioned that you couldn't go to court, you know, um, if you were a victim of slavery. But I, I would say, sir, you couldn't go to court until the 1964 Civil Rights Act with the employment uh, law that uh, Dr. King helped get passed. Is that not yeah, correct? Yeah, you could. Right. Right. You couldn't go to certain restaurants until they passed the equal access to uh, housing and, and, and public, public facilities. You know, no, this, this is, that's why I say when I get to $14 trillion, people say, wow, that's a lot of money. People never pay it. Well, $14 trillion over 300-plus years of, of denial of your wealth, transfer of your wealth from you to somebody else, when you take that money – and we haven't even added inflation to it. But when you take that, that's how you get the $14 trillion. And, you know, reparations is not a new thing. Reparations has been around the world. And, you know, we've done it here. We did it for the Japanese when they were put in internment camps uh, because they were Japanese and people thought they were going to join the Japanese when they launched the attack on Pearl Harbor. This is America. This didn't happen in uh, Nazi Germany. This happened in America. And so the argument that you aren't entitled is, is a non-starter. You are entitled. It may be an argument of how much. And so I just did what I think is, a, is an analysis of how I would go at it. Mm -hmm. Now, let me ask you a personal question in reference to reparations. Have you always... Um, you know, looked at reparations as something that was owed to the descendants of victims of slavery, or did, is this something that you developed, you know, as you got more information? Can you tell us about your personal journey uh, towards, you know, being an advocate for reparations? Uh, no, I, I I was a history major, so that it probably starts there. I, I was a history student in high school, history student and, and undergraduate and uh, international affairs slash history student, and for my master's degree. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I was I was very interested in how countries came about, how governments came about, how people changed governments, what governments did to to uh, uh, create wealth in their country, uh, how they did it, who was it, what governments did when they went to war, why they went to war. So I was a history major, so I had a, I, that was my passion. And once I got into business, I began to understand access to wealth. You know, I mm -hmm. built BET on a $500,000 investment and sold it for approximately $4 billion. So I, I began to understand how capital creates uh, access to capital creates wealth, and wealth mm -hmm. creates power. Mm -hmm. uh, so it, that's how I got into it. Then I started looking at and doing studies on the wealth gap. Why is it that African Americans are so far behind white Americans? 
you know, I don't believe white Americans are that much smarter than African Americans. I don't believe that they got more integrity than African Americans. I, I don't believe they African Americans care less for their children's future than white Americans. I, I, I and so I'm saying, well, how does how do you make it so African Americans have access to the wealth and power that is embedded in a capitalistic system? And then I started looking. Well, how do you do it? And I was saying to myself, well, how did you achieve it? I got access to capital. Mm-hmm. I got access to capital, and then I went out and hired very talented African-Americans to create black entertainment television, talented African-Americans to create a $3 billion hotel company, uh, African-American talent to create a private equity fund managing uh, other people's money. And I'm saying that's the issue is we are denied access to capital, which goes way back under the way, uh, due to the way we were treated. So I said, if you're going to solve the the disparity between blacks and whites in home ownership, in net worth, in access to quality education, and access to entrepreneurial opportunities, it's simple. You're in a capitalist society, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure it out. you got to give black folks more money. And I don't mean government handout money, welfare checks. I don't mean government handout money, food stamps. I don't mean government handout in Section 8 housing. I mean what white Americans have had from the first time slaves planted their fields, sold their corn, picked their cotton, is money. Because you didn't have to pay somebody to work for you when you sell something you get a higher return on it because you're not paying labor costs. And I said the only way to solve that is to somehow close the wealth gap. And to me, the way to close the wealth gap, if you're not going to give black folks access to bank loans, access to investment capital, Mm -hmm. access to opportunities from the government like radio stations and TV stations and Railroad rights away and timberland and oil leases, you got to give them cash. And so I said, well, if you're going to give them cash, you got to have a reason to give them cash. And I said, somebody takes your labor and use it to make money and make themselves richer than you and make their uh, their uh, next generation richer than your generation, they owe you. So I said, reparations. It was sort of promised back with the 40 acres and a mule concept. And so let's go after reparations, and then you figure out how much, how do you calculate what is owed. And, you know, that's up to you to figure that out, you know, and that's what I did. I said, this is the way I'd look at it, and that's how I got there. So you shared with us, you know, your personal um, success in terms of business, but so I'm sure there's some people out there that's saying, wait a minute. Bob Johnson's a billionaire. Mr. Johnson is a billionaire. So if he could do it, why can't the rest of you do it? What would you say to them? I would say to them, Bill Gates is a 40 times billionaire. How come I ain't Bill Gates? Mm -hmm. (laughs) The answer is, didn't have the same opportunity. Mm -hmm. And the answer mm -hmm. to that question is, Bob Johnson, Michael Jordan, you know, Robert Smith, Jay-Z, Oprah Winfrey, pick a name, Magic Johnson. We're one in almost 40 million. Mm-hmm. The others that out there, the answer to that is I didn't have the opportunity that Bob Johnson had. Mm-hmm. Had I and a lot of us like this, there would be more Bob Johnson. There would be more Oprah Winfrey's. Mm-hmm. There would be more Robert Smith. That's the answer to the question. Because if you don't think that's the answer, then you'd have to go to the other one, which I refuse to go to, is that white people are smarter than us. Mm-hmm. White people are more industrious than us. White people work harder than us. They got more vision. They know how to manage money better than us. If I did what I did growing up poor in Illinois, I, uh, in a family of 10 kids, 
imagine what I could have done if I had grown up rich, like mm-hmm. the white people. Imagine what you could have done if you grown up rich, like the white people. Mm-hmm. So that's the answer to that question is the people who are not me didn't have the luck of the draw and the opportunity to get to where I got or to get to where I But do they have the ability and the skills? You're darn right. Because as as you know as well as I know, those of us who succeeded had to be better than to be as good as. Right. right. So I don't have a problem with answering questions like that. Why couldn't everybody be, you know, Michael Jordan, you know, and own a shoe company and, and so on and so forth. Hey, you know, everybody didn't have that opportunity, but... Look at all the other white Americans who had the opportunity. Yes, sir. And why equality means give us the same opportunity and you have as many rich white black folks as you got rich white folks. Mm-hmm. That's my theory. And I don't uh, and because if I take if I don't believe that, then I got to basically say that there's a something that keeps us from competing against white folks. Yes, sir. And I, I don't believe that. Mm-hmm. You know, as you was talking about, you know, access to capital and wealth, and you were saying labor is wealth, human labor is wealth. I was just reminded of uh, reading a letter um, a while back, a couple of years ago, that Thomas Jefferson had wrote about wealth accumulation. And he had he had wrote some of his fellow slavers and said, you know, each time um, a slave is born on my plantation, my capital increases. And, and so, you know, also when you look at the Latin uh, root word of capital, it means head count. And I just thought that was just like, wow, it just kind of blew me away. But Thomas Jefferson telling these other people that every time a victim of slavery is, of course, he didn't use that word, is born on my plantation, my wealth increases. That's yeah, it. of course, because it, it's like it's like anything else. It's it's what you call cap. It's exactly what you call capital. We today call it, you know, labor or capital capex, capital expenditure. Yeah, it's it. You know, Thomas Jefferson wasn't stupid. I mean, you know, if you got a farm and you want to harvest more during the season when the price for cotton is high, you can pick a hell of a lot more cotton with twenty slaves than you could with five. Right. So he's right. And if he can get to market before the other guys got to market because he had 20 slaves and the other guys got five, he go he will go out and set the price. Mm-hmm. The other guys got to come in and, you know, compete with Jefferson. So, you know, it, 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 it's understandable. This goes all the way back in human history that people have always grabbed slaves for power reasons, or but mainly, mainly, to care for them to do something that they don't want to do to give them more power. You know, if you were in the military and you were a king and you had uh, 500 slave warriors, you're a hell of a lot better than the guy who's got 100 slave warriors. Mm-hmm. It's power. And that's what people need to understand, that what we're talking about, what capitalism has taken from us, is power. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So we have to look at at reparations in addition to atonement and apology and all that. We have to look at it as a transfer of power. In this country, in this democracy, this capitalistic democracy, mm-hmm. you know what gets people elected? Money. Yes, sir. And you know what comes from having people elected? Power. Power. So we as African Americans, just think about this. If we had the wealth of white Americans, many of our black elected officials wouldn't have to kowtow to the uh, one-party line that they have to obey to because they don't, if they don't have the money to pay for their campaign, mm-hmm. television ads, newspaper ads, and get-out-to-vote money. They lose election, yes, so sir. they go to. If you look at it, and I, I don't have the math on it, but I would bet you that the money funding black elected officials 
I would say the majority of it come from white donors. And I would say or I would labor add unions, to that which are controlled donors. by white. So black 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 money mm-hmm. is minuscule. Yes, sir. So when you ask a white elected official to say, "Give us reparation," mm-hmm. and then the other white people are saying, "Well, I'm not in favor of that," and the guy's got an election coming up, who do you think he's going to listen to? That's the dilemma. That now that's a dilemma that I was like, man, I want to talk to him about that. Now, you know, John Conyers, um, may he rest in power, um, had advised to Encobra, who is the sponsor of this program in a partnership with our nonprofit Black Talk Media Project. But he had advised to them to follow the model because you mentioned the Japanese Americans. Um, receiving reparations, and that H.R. 40 bill is modeled after the process of the way the Japanese Americans were able to to get that. Now, he faithfully introduced that bill every year that he was in office. I think it goes back over 20 years. But now, let's say this latest presidential election, reparations have been discussed more than any, you know, in the mainstream, more than any time that I can remember in my adult life, uh, life lifetime, and I'm 53 years old. And so while it's being talked about a lot, when you look at polling of the general public, uh, if they support reparations or not, it's still in very, very low might not even be in double-digit numbers. That presents a problem because of what you just said, because because the, if the donors or, you know, this white politician is looking to get reelected and his constituency is telling him, no, I don't support reparations, I didn't own any slaves and ain't no slaves alive. You know, we, we hear, hear the arguments. That place is in a dilemma. So how how do we do this, sir? Well, you thought about this. What what do you? Yeah, I, I I thought about it, and I'm trying to convince everybody from Black Lives Matter to in Cobra to everybody every, everybody else who believes in this. It's time for Black Americans to form their own independent party because we are now and appendage of the Democratic Party. Yes, sir. And if the Democratic Party says we're going to go this way, we have no choice but to go because, again, most of the money for black elected officials come from something called uh, Democratic donors Mm -hmm. that are told to support African-American candidates in certain elections, and sometimes if you're a strong Democratic Party, you'll get more from somebody who's talking about being an independent in a party. They basically, you know, that's the way it happens. Party takes care of the people. And so my thing is, it's time, particularly now, it's a critical time, because the Democrats have shown absolutely, uh, almost brutally, how they think of us when I talk about an appendage. When former Vice President Joe Biden said on The Breakfast Club that if you even think about not voting for me, you ain't black. My goodness. Now, how could somebody tell you, a black man, woman who lived this country, fought and in some cases died for this country in, in wars, and have have tried to live against all the odds against you, a white man can look you in the eye and say, if you even think about not voting for me, you ain't black. That same thing could be said to a slave, and they would say to a slave, if you even think about not picking that cotton today, you ain't alive. And what could the slave do but pick the cotton? So what do we do? We pick the Democrat cotton. Mm. And that's what what we need to do is get off the reservation. You think about this. When I say an appendage, your leg is an appendage of your 
your brain, basically. Right. Your leg can't go any place your brain don't say walk. Mm-hmm. It's just there. When your brain say walk left, your leg follows. So we are an appendage. And I wish the Black Lives Matter leaders and its followers would not just hold on the issue of police brutality and police murders, but think about the power that their movement could have if they stood up and said, we are going to create a political party based on what the founding members of the Congressional Black Caucus said, which included John Conyers. Black Americans should have no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, just permanent interests. Mm -hmm. If Black Lives Matter were to stand up tomorrow, you want to get reparations passed? Get the Black Caucus young people, dynamic leaders, people who are saying to the old guard, we're the leaders now, you follow us. If they were to stand up and say, we will have a protest vote on November 3rd and write in a, a party based on the caucus, the Congressional Black Caucus founding principle, no permanent friends, no permanent enemies, just permanent interests, PIP, Permanent Interest Party. Mm. If the Black Lives Matter people were to do that, it would be a shock heard around the world. Can I tell you why it might not possibly happen? The reason why it may not possibly happen, if you recall, sir, um, back during the 2016 election when you had Black Lives Matter activists um, snatching mics out of the hands of people like Bernie Sanders, infiltrating private fundraisers um, like that of Hillary Clinton, and then shortly thereafter, all of a sudden, Democratic donors, as you, you know, you used that term early, start filling the coffers of the Black Lives Matter organization. So the same yeah, issue it, there with the Democratic Party. If the Scott, Demo- Scott it, it, you're absolutely right. Black folks are, have been, again, because we don't have any wealth, have been easily bought off. But I think now there's something else out there in the air among the Black Lives Movement. And I'm telling you, they are being put in a position right now where they're being bought off. Every day I pick up the paper, I read where a white company has announced that they're going to give money to Black Lives Matter. They're going to do this with Black Lives Matter. They're going to better market with Black Lives Matter. This is what happens in this country. Power goes after people who threaten the power system, the power equation. Mm -hmm. But if we want to ever get any power in the country, we're going to have to reject that notion that we have to take the money in order to be ourselves. We should just say we're going to be ourselves. You get power, the money will come later. You don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. The Democratic Party raised billions of dollars. The Republican Party raised billions of dollars. The money will come once you set yourself as an independent party because both parties are going to start coming after you to win your vote. Cut a deal. You cannot be a, power, you cannot be a powerful party or a powerful group if you are taken for granted by one party mm-hmm. and ignored by the other. Mm-hmm. It's very simple. You have no, you have no le- what they call leverage. Everybody, everybody understands what leverage means. That means you got re- you got to have a reason to make people want to talk to you, mm-hmm. make people want to cut a deal with you. If you don't have any leverage to get somebody to cut a deal, they ignore you, which is what's happening now. Republicans ignore us. Democrats take us for granted. And I, I can tell you this, I know this for a fact. When I was running BET, and I'd go to the DNC, Democratic National Committee, during an election, and say, hey, why don't you give us a couple hundred thousand dollars in advertising money to uh, reach the black voters? Mm-hmm. They would come back and say, Bob, uh, 
we already got the black votes in that district. We don't need them. Wow. We need to put this money in the white districts where we got to come change some white people's minds. We got you. Wow. And that is the position today. And that that's just not in campaign. That's in your policy. You step up on Capitol Hill and say, we want this policy. That means this kind of money flows to us under these terms and conditions. They'll look at you and say, and if we don't do it, what you going to do? Mm. You got no place to go. You like the leg. You can't go anyplace and let the head say walk. You ain't going to stay home. And every black person who you say, I think I'm going to walk and stay home, oh, no, you're going to let the Right now today, I'll tell you, the diff- there's no difference between what the Democratic Party is selling and what the Catholic Church used to sell, and probably still sell a long time ago, to get people to believe that the only way you can go to heaven was to go through the priest. Mm-hmm. And that the priest and the bishops and the pope were infallible. Therefore, you had no choice. Mm-hmm. So right now, back in the day, before Martin Luther, not the king, but the other Martin Luther, nailed the thesis on the door and said... You don't have to go to the priest to go to God. You can go get down on your knees and pray. Right, directly. What the church what the church said was this. If you do not adhere to our doctrine and dogma, you will be excommunicated and no heaven. And they said the worst thing that you could do is become a disciple of Satan. And everybody rich just gave all kind of emoluments and donations and money to the church. And that's the way the church won, because got more money, got more power. Same thing here. I can talk to a black person today and say, what do you think about election? Oh, Trump is the devil. Trump is Satan. Mm-hmm. Trump is the evil one. If we don't get rid of Trump, oh, my God, we not we got to vote for the guy who told us if we... Don't think about voting here. We ain't black. We got to do it. He's just just so evil. He'll kill us all. Mm-hmm. And you know what? That's dogma. Yes. That's doctrine. That's using fear. Yes, sir. Catholic Church fear. Don't obey the king. Don't obey the bishop. Don't obey the pope. You are excommunicated and denied heaven, and maybe your family is too. Same thing. If you even think about voting for for Donald Trump. And you I, are not black. I am excommunicating you away from being black. That's a very important point that you raise about the specter of Donald Trump. And, you know, the founding principle of the Black Talk Media Project was based on a video that I saw of Malcolm X. Okay, Malcolm X talked about World War II. He said before the war... Um, No, he said during the war, the Chinese and the Russians were our friends and the Germans and the Japanese were our enemies. And then after the war, the American news media flipped the script and then the Japanese and and, um, the Germans were our friends and now the Chinese and the Russians are our enemies. And just saying, he's talking about the power of media. Then there's his quote that the most powerful entity on the face of the planet is the media because it controls the minds of the masses. And I would say the way that that fear is sold to us is through media. Um, you know, oh, it's, it's sold through us through media. It's, it's, it's used in media. I, 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 I enjoy I get a chuckle when I watch what happens on the, uh, the uh, cable networks like CNN and MSNBC, mm-hmm. whenever a black person would stand up on his two legs and say something about what the Democratic Party ain't doing or what Trump could do if they could work with him, they trot in two or three other black people who sit there and just attack them and accuse them of basically being a sellout. Mm-hmm. And there was a legend, I don't know if it's true, about a man called Willie Lynch. Willie Lynch story goes like this. 
the slave owners in the Carolinas were having problems with managing their slaves. One of the slave owners in the group said, there's a gentleman in the Caribbean named Willie Lynch who has run plantations for the owners there. They have had no problems of discord among their slaves and discontent and lack of work. Let's get him over here. They brought Willie Lynch over. Willie Lynch sat down with him and said, here's what you do. You divide the house blacks from the field blacks. You take the ones who look good from the ones who don't look so good. You treat them different. You give some a little bit of right to read. The others you deny. And you will not have to worry about any kind of disruption. They will police themselves. The field hands will be despised by the house slaves. The house slaves will turn in and spy on the field hands. That's all you need to do. And you know what? To this day, Willie Lynch's DNA was embedded in slaves, and to many people, it exists today in us. We can overcome it, right? Uh, you, yeah, of course. We can overcome it. We overcame, you know, 300 plus years of slavery and Jim Crow and all that kind of stuff. You can overcome it. But you got to overcome it mentally and be willing to take risk. And the risk is being willing to challenge the orthodoxy that there are two parties in the United States of America, mm-hmm. and we must be an appendage of one. The great uh, legendary uh, singer Bob Marley? Yes, sir. In his uh, famous song, Redemption Song, I guess if people haven't heard it, you got to go out and you got to listen to Redemption Song. He has a lyric in there that speaks to you, the answer to your question. Emancipate yourself from mental slavery. Only ourselves can free our mind. Until we free our mind, going back to what I said earlier, if a white American is $350,000 ahead of you and he's growing his life at five times you, and you and he are running at the same pace, you will never catch him. Therefore, you'll never be equal. He will never treat you equal because in his mind and in his country, equality or superiority is based on wealth. Not humanity, not how gracious you are, not intellectualism, not being a philosopher. And that's what makes capitalism work. Owning wealth, controlling wealth, and the Constitution says no one can seize your property without due process of law. Corporations are considered people under the law. That's what, until we emancipate ourselves from mental slavery, we will never be equal in wealth. I'll end it and let you go because what I'm saying is if you want to go, there is an organization called the Pew Research Firm. It's a foundation, a Pew Research Firm. They put out a study that I read. It was three or four years ago, so it's probably worse now. But that Pew Research study said this. And since you're about 54 years old, you'll know what I'm talking about. It said, children... I'm talking about black Americans. Black Americans whose parents were solidly middle class in the 60s and 70s, their children will never attain the wealth of their parents. So families whose parents were solidly middle class in the 60s and 70s, their children will never attain the wealth of their parents. Now, if you think about that, that means we 
are going backward, not forward. Yes, sir. I will wholeheartedly agree with that, um, that we're going backwards. Um, we are coming to the conclusion of this interview, and I just want to thank you, sir, for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us here on Black Talk Radio Network on Conversation Reparations. Um, do you have any recommended reading to free in our minds or, or just anything that you would like to uh, point us to to help us towards that goal of, of freeing our mind of mental independence? Uh, you know, when I think about some question like that, you know, I, I don't have, I can't grab the the book or um, document that could say this is what you should read because it's you you freeing your mind means you have to have a revolutionary thought process. Yes, sir. And so, uh, you know, I would have to think of some of the things that you all people have read. And one would be immediately come to mind would be the autobiography of Malcolm X. (laughs) You know, it's funny you said that because I was on a call earlier today, um, with another legendary, Bob Law, Bob Law, legendary black radio broadcaster, and they were having a Zoom conference, and we were talking about, you know, just changing um, the code of behavior that we see in our young people out there in the street. They, you know, are engaged in these self-destructive behaviors. And so they was talking about recommended reading, and they mentioned that book. Now, I didn't have an opportunity to share because I was just there to listen. I was invited there. But... If I could have shared, I would have said Malcolm X's biography. I was sitting over there in Saudi Arabia in Riyadh, just outside of Riyadh, Saudi Arabia, during the first Gulf War, and I was reading Malcolm X's biography, and it just changed my life. It just it just started making me look at things yeah. differently, and and I knew I had to get out the U.S. military because I then yeah. understood my role. So I'm glad you mentioned that book. You know, it may not have the same impact on others, but it certainly had an impact on me. Yeah, it, it, it's it's about a man who replaced um, sort of what I would call acceptance of things with no fear of things. Yes, sir. That's a great book. Great book. And, and yeah. what really stood out to me was he wasn't afraid to change his mind as he got more information. He constantly. No, no. Well, it. that's what I say. He, 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 you know, a, a revolutionary has both a passion and vision, but he also has an end goal. And in order to that, you know, any revolution, most revolutions start and they, 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 they become something that's sustainable or else if it doesn't do that it's a riot yes sir yes sir well again robert l johnson sir thank you for joining us here on conversation reparations and thank you for lending your voice to the call for reparations because it is certainly old and it it just really i thought was a big deal um when someone with your profile came out you know with this information that you came out with so I want to thank you. Yeah, well, I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep talking about. It. In fact, uh, I've got to. I've, I've got to uh, talk tomorrow with a radio station or a TV station out of Ireland. I've done the BBC and everything else. It's a global issue. The reparations is not just a U.S. thing. There's reparations for Aboriginal people in um, New Zealand and probably parts of Australia. Yes, sir. There's all kinds of questions of reparation among the Turks and Armenians during a long time ago when the Turkish. Uh, Ottoman Empire to try to create genocide against Armenians. So it, it, this is not new. It is not new. And you know what? It's not scary unless we are afraid to emancipate ourselves from mental slavery. All right. All right. Thank you again, sir. And I hope Got it. this won't be your last time visiting our networks, but you be blessed, sir. Stay safe out there. All right. A- anytime. Take care. Take care. All right. That was Mr. Bob Johnson, Robert L. Johnson, um, founder of BET, 
um, business mogul. And I'm sorry, listeners, you know, um, Jamoke hosts this program. I'm just his audio engineer, but he had technical problems tonight um, because of, you know, this um, seems to be a nationwide issue with all the major cell phone carriers. And I, saw, I thought he was trying to log on by computer, but he wasn't able to join us. So I hope I did this program justice. It's not every day you get to speak to a Robert L. Johnson and pick his brain, uh, let alone talk to him about such an important issue as reparations. So again, I have linked to that article or that press release is on prnewswire.com, but I've linked to it um, right below the excerpt from it. But it's titled Robert L. Johnson, founder of Black Entertainment Television and the RLJ Company's issue statement and proposal for full black American reparations. And so um, we're going to go ahead and close it out. And hopefully, you know, we can get him back where somebody who is much more knowledgeable and, and therefore will probably have different questions than I, um, someone like Jamoke. So hopefully, you know, we can get Mr. Johnson back in the future and let Jamoke, you know, conduct his, this interview as it was originally scheduled to be that way, if not for uh, these technical issues. Please continue to support the production of independent black media. Um, we do have a North Carolina-based nonprofit, the Black Talk Media Project, which manages the Black Talk Radio Network. And I would say, you know, Mr. Johnson, I didn't want to go down that road because I wanted to stay, stick to the topic of reparations. But certainly, I know he understands the power of media. Certainly, I know, I know that he knows the damage that the 1996 Telecommunications Act did to black media, particularly black terrestrial radio, in allowing these European-owned corporations to buy up stations, you know, in one individual market. So, for example, for those who are not familiar with the industry, like, say, Charlotte, North Carolina, which is the largest city, you know, closest to me, that's a radio market. Detroit's a radio market. Chicago, New York, those are all radio markets. And that before the 1996 Telecommunications Act, a corporation could only own no more than three stations in a given market. And then uh, once that came along, which was signed by Bill Clinton and pushed by Democrats, but it was a bipartisan effort. You know, everything that we suffer is a bipartisan effort. I am not a partisan uh, political person, Republican or Democrat. They bipartisanly screw us over, okay? So they worked on that bill, and that allowed these European-owned uh, corporations to buy up, I think, have up to eight stations. Well, that put out, that put the independent uh, black radio station out of business because then, you know, uh, people stop tuning into that and tune in to the white-owned station who might have some black voices, but they work for the white station. And then they get all the advertisement revenue. I can't tell you how many stations we, we have lost, but we've lost a lot of them. So I think it's very important that we build a grassroots network and the technology exists that that can be done, and that is what the Black Talk Media Project is about, and bringing you voices like Jamoke uh, and the people at Cobra and many of the other black voices that you will find on the network. Shout out to our uh, sister network, TimeForAwakening.com, which is managed by uh, Time for Awakening Media, which was uh, created by Elliot Booker. So without that, I'm not going to run on uh, the podcast. Please share it with others if you thought, you know, some good information was being shared. Um, share the podcast. It'll be up in, in no later than two hours. I'll have it posted for you. With that said, peace and blessings to all. Y'all be safe out there. Um, COVID is killing a lot of people. I'm not going to debate people who think that it's not real, but look, just take care of yourself. It doesn't hurt, you know, to just distance yourself and try to stay safe, okay? Because I've lost a family member to it. May my Aunt Susan rest in peace. So y'all stay safe out there. Peace and blessings to all.
but my people still pull. Reparations is due, so just give me what you owe. No, we won't renounce the debt. America bounced the check. And no, it ain't all about the dough, but my people still pull. Reparations.